Okay, that's progress. <laughs> that's progress. We are at the bottom of page 186, chapter three, about to start a new paragraph. Welcome back. <laughs> so let's discuss. Let's talk about the last thing we learned yesterday before we move forward. Deva said something very interesting at the end of the prior paragraph. Goodbye. He was comparing the different stages of Exodus to Sinai progress. Stage one, Baracha Am, the people escape Egypt without feeling. They know that that's not a place for a Jew to be in any longer. They have to move forward. And in our lives, it also represents the concept of making choices that without the divine inspiration, knowing right from wrong, making the choices to do the right thing, even without the, the full, fullness of inspiration. And we say in davening every day, Ashrei Yoshrei Vesecha, how fortunate are those who sit in your home in the house of Hashem. Then we say, Ashrei Ha'am Shekachalo. How fortunate are the people that this is how it is for them. That's a simple meaning of the Pasuk, literal translation. Ashrei Ha'am Shekachalo. How fortunate for the people that that's how it is for them. Shekacha. There's a Hasidic saying that goes, Ashrei Ha'am, how fortunate are the people, Shekacha. Low. That they say kacha. What does kacha mean? Azoi. That's just how it is. Kacha. Why? Because. Just because. Shekacha low. That we say shekacha. That's how it is. In other words, there's a Siddish saying that says, Azoi emit andish. That's how it has to be. I'm, I'm crossing a line of dedication and selflessness. That that's my behavior. I may not be very spiritually inclined or in tune with this higher form of living just yet. I'm just leaving, leaving the cultures and enslavement of Egypt. But kacha, that's how it's going to be. And I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to try to get there. But that's how it is. So the Rebbe says, the last thing we learned in yesterday's mime at the end of the, high, the first paragraph, the Rebbe said that there's a symmetry in selfless behavior between stage one and stage three. Stage one is selfless dedication. The stepping outside of negotiation, shikacha, that's how it is. We've all had conversations with children, why? Because. That's it, because. Because that's what I'm supposed to be. Can I fully explain and describe? And, and it's not negotiable. This is how it is. There's a, there's a symmetry sense that between that statement of selfless proper behavior and stage number three, which is the Bittel B'Metzius we discussed yesterday, which is called, if I call the first one selfless dedication, I'll call stage number three selfless devotion. I'm selfless as well, Bittel B'Metzius, because I'm now defining myself by the purpose of why I'm here. I don't see myself anything different other than a tool, an agent to facilitate God's purpose. So it's selfless, but not the same kind of selfless as exactly as stage number one, which was selfless dedication. Kacha, that's how it is. This one already, I'm able to fully acclimate the ideals, the values, after counting the Omer and after the self-refinement. I completely have removed the identity of self and selflessness. I devote myself to the purpose of what I'm really all about. And there's nothing about my reality that, dis that distracts me from that. 
And there's nothing about thee that's not an expression of that. That's Bithel B'Metzius. That's coming to Sinai. That I see myself perfectly symmetrically connected to Hashem's presence, and I'm an ambassador for that. There's nothing in my life, nothing about me, nothing in my portfolio that has something just for myself. So stage one is kacha, azoy in it, that's how it is. Stage number three is, wow, this is exactly what I'm really supposed to be, and I fully get it after going through stages one, two, and three. But there's a symmetry and selflessness between one and three. Because stage number two, it's not that selfless. Stage number two is I'm trying to learn more about who I should be. I'm studying my personality. I'm analyzing myself. I'm trying to inform my life. So that's an important stage to get to stage three as I learn the value system. I'm trying to become less selfish and so forth as I count the omer in the month of ER. So it's focused on myself. But stages number one and three, I'm focused on Hashem. I'm focused on that divine presence that I become. And that's what happens as we go through stages one, two, and three. And that's the process of receiving the Torah. And guess what? We need to do this every single day. This isn't just about the time of the year. As everything else in Torah, they become prototypes, archetypes, for behavior for the Jew whenever and wherever. So we're at the bottom of page 186. And let's go to chapter three. Zok the Rebbe Vaitu. Just like we spoke about before, of the symmetry between stages number one and stage number three. They both represent a sense of selflessness, either selfless dedication, stage one, or selfless devotion, stage number three. Look into how our sages constructed the prayer book, and we see a similarity in that process as well between stages one and three, of selflessness. And I'll explain, says the Rebbe. Beginning part of the prayer service is, what do you say? The prayer begins as soon as you wake up. The alarm clock goes off. You press snooze, whatever you want to press. And you say right away, that's that's shekacha. Just how it has to be. What do you mean? I'm very comfortable. The nice, under my, under my, my blankets, the pillow is pretty good. Who's no one's bothering me right now? We're, we're kind of enslaved to the culture of a good schluff, and I've only had six hours to sleep or five hours. Why move away? Chikacha, Azoi, Azoi, and I need to go learn. I need to go dive. I need to go to the mikvah. I need wherever you got to go, whatever you got to do. I need to do that. Chikacha says the Rebbe, that's my da'ani. I concede. Jew wakes up in the morning, the first thing he does is concede. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. That's the natural state of the Jewish person that inspires oneself before information. That's going to come later. And I start learning. I start davening. But the first moment has to be, just get out of Mitzrayim. It's, a, it's not, not a nice place to call your bed Mitzrayim, but this is a metaphor. <laughs> but that will, will, to a certain degree, if it keeps you away from Shoal, it keeps you from doing a mitzvah, then that's, that's a Mitzrayim to a certain degree. Okay. So says the Rebbe, that's what we say the first thing in the morning, selfless dedication. And then you say the beginning of davening, even as you begin actually starting the actual prayer service, we say in the beginning of davening, according to Nusach Ari, Nusach Svard, Hodul Hashem, again, Hodul, which means conceding, conceding. I admit, I concede, I acknowledge. So it's Kacha, that's how it is. At this point, 
I'm not fully informed about the beauty of the wealth and the wealth and the enrichment and the enhancement of Torah values. At this point, I'm still thinking pillow and bed and covers, but nevertheless, I gotta go there. Kishura says that I have a second line from uh, uh, four lines from before the bottom of the page. Kishura imha avoided the bitlubimitsiyas. So that's stage number one in the morning, the moda ani, or the hodel Hashem, that concession, that acknowledgement, that's very much connected symmetrically and spiritually with the bitl of Shmona Esrei itself, which is stage number three, that you become the reality of divine presence in the Amidah, in the Shmona Esrei, which of course is much later. When you go through the process of davening and elevating and climbing the ladder, but they both represent that Bittel. The first stage is the, the, the selfless dedication. Get out of bed. Stage number three, of course, is Shemona Esrei. I really appreciate the presence of Hashem to the point I bow down in his presence. I submit myself with selfless devotion. I'm devoted now. I'm becoming the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in my reality in life. That's Gavaldic. That's stage number three. And there's a symmetry as we said before, between Nisan and Sivan, process one, process three, in becoming from a slave in Mitzrayim to a servant of God at Sinai, the symmetry between one and three, we do this every day. The symmetry between Moda Ani and the Shmona Esrei, who we call the Amida, as he's going to explain. Is this Gavaldic, my friends? Yes. It's on a daily basis. We don't just have to go through this a couple of times a year. Every single morning, we're going through a, a Sinai transformative experience culminating in Shmona Esrei, but begins still under the covers and on the pillows. The service of Shmona Esrei, he says, hold on to your chairs and fasten your seatbelts. Let's understand what Shmona Esrei could look like for you and for me. As we say our prayers, and specifically we're going to talk about the beauty and the purpose of the Shmona Esrei prayer, and how we get to it, and what it's supposed to represent. Ready? Here we go. Based upon the book of Ezekiel, and the prophet prophecy that he shares with us in the beginning of Ezekiel, what he sees happening in the heavens above, that thank God, he was told by God to share with the rest of us, the Jewish people. So we see the concept of prayer and devotion and dedication of the angels above, and we have to, of course, match that. To the contrary, we become actually the prototypes, and the angels above actually emulate us. So our services, as taught to us by Ezekiel, what happens in the heavens above, need to be matched by how you and I behave every day when we do our prayer services. Ready to hear the connection? How that can be? How we can become perfect examples of what the angels above are doing based upon prophecy taught to us by Ezekiel, also by Isaiah, a little bit less, but the same, same concept. Let's see what Ezekiel says about prayer service by the angels above, that when we open up a sitter later today or tomorrow and want to dive in, we can try to match it. What is it about them that is us? Two lines on the bottom of the page. The Inyim, Maisem Merkava. He sees, of course, the chariots in the heavens above. This is what Ezekiel, in great detail, shares with us in chapter 1, verses 24, 25, and so forth. But Amdam, and he quotes, here's the verse, 24, 25, Ezekiel 1. At a certain point, says Ezekiel, the angels at first, as we'll soon see and say, 
there was excitement, the flapping of the wings, which is a metaphor, of course, the wings of love and fear, the excitement, the powerful level of inspiration, excitement, exhilaration, that he's witnessing, God shows him this, but at a certain point, it all stops. There's silence. Remember the Kesser silence? All of a sudden, there's a little silence over there, and he says, Ezekiel, but undum, as they stand there now, and they halt the flapping of the wings. There's no more flapping of the wings. What does they represent? It says that ever, here comes. First it says, prior to the seeing them stand there in utter silence. Before that, it says, the flapping of the wings were creating such a powerful sound, a wind of sound of like the signs of turbulent waters gushing forth. An example, a metaphor for powerful signs or sounds coming from the angels that he's witnessing Ezekiel. And thank God he shares with us, meaning the following. What is he hearing? The sounds of the wings flapping, like the sound of a raging body of river, making this powerful sound, says that Ebbe. What it means is the following. The flapping of the wings, the sound that they're hearing is the sounds of the excitement, the exhilaration, the powerful energy of their love of God and the awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. And that's what the wings are. The right side is love. The left side is awe, trepidation. And they're flapping their wings to soar higher and higher to the throne of God's glory. And that's what he sees at first. That's the sound of the raging waters of love, of awe, of reverence for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It says that ever last time of the page. Because these angels are people who are intelligent and they're understanding and contemplating the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They see the chariot of God. They're part of the chariot. So what they do by that meditation process, they thereby become experiencing Indian. Top of the next page, please. Indian Haratsoi Barash. They want more. They're, in, they're a tremendous level of yearning and passion to come closer to the throne of God, to the glory of a Kurdish Baruch sitting upon the throne. Top of page 187. It's a Ratsoi, it's a yearning with loud noise. I need, I have to have. This is so true. I don't want to be distracted by the limits of my own identity calling attention to myself, even though I'm an angel. But even an angel has a sense of self, and the angel is trying to free himself. He wants, I say himself could be herself. I'm not sure if angels have gender. It doesn't make a difference. Anyways, he's trying to free itself from its identity, which represents some level and degree of separation. And they're flapping their wings in love of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. As the verse reads, and we say this in Davani as well, Ezekiel says, I hear behind me this powerfully raging water sounds of powerful energy from the flapping of the wings, the expressions of love and awe that the angels are expressing. And that's what the angels are going through. And then all of a sudden, total silence. All of a sudden, that yearning and that haste and that passion and that level of exhilaration, all of a sudden the angels are exposed to a revelation beyond their understanding. They see something so core, so identified with the essence of Hashem himself that they can't understand. They're seeing the face and the image of a divine presence upon the throne of God's glory. 
because you and I are so smart, so we know what it is. They was they're being revealed to the level of Kesser, this crowning level, this surrounding energy of silence. All of a sudden, or we call it Or Hasolvei, a transcendent light of God that represents a powerful presence in God's presence. The angels now have been exposed to that. All of a sudden, they stop and they halt the flapping of the wings and their silence. Ain Amida As our sages say, Amida means silence, like our Shmona Esrei too. And that's the silence, being in the presence of something so true, so real, so essential. And there's a silence in that. Before there was the loud yearning, the passion, then they come to this place of divine presence and there's silence. That's the Keser we spoke about at the beginning of our mimer, that surrounding sound of God's presence and energy. What happens to them? All of a sudden, the wings stop flapping. They halt all that level of that energy. It's no longer happening. They have no capacity any longer to express love and passion and yearning. Where, what are they expressing now? It says that hold on to your chairs. They're now selfless. They see a presence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So who am I to want? Who am I to yearn? I'm in presence, being exposed to a divine essence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I have to just share that silence of beauty of God's presence and not express myself at all. And that, my friend, is what we have to experience every day. Can you imagine going to show and the chasm is going at 75 miles an hour? He's going from Mahoda to Shmona Esrei in a couple of minutes, and you're supposed to come to seeing all of a sudden the presence of the divine essence and totally be, see yourself as an ambassador of the essence of our Kaddish Baruch Hu, being in that presence. How do you do that if you go faster than the speed of Kavana? How can you do that? It's impossible. Anyway, but that's what's supposed to happen every single day. The Zahoinian says that this is what Ezekiel and Isaiah talk about. When you talk about Shachayis, Noitzis, as I say, this is unbelievable. Gvaldin. The Pesach reads, without Hasidus, it makes no sense. But now it can make sense because you came to the Hasidus in your cup. It says that these beautiful angels called the Chayas HaKobis, these holy angels, they carry the throne of glory and they get carried by it. If you're carrying, how do you get carried by? Says the Rebbe, now we understand. There's two parts to the service. initially, in their yearning, in their passion, they pick up the throne of God's glory in their passion and fervor to come closer. They're picking up the whole identity of the divine presence, the Yachakap, and then afterwards, when they realize how close they've come to an exposure of divine presence, the Amida part, Ba'amdam, all of a sudden they get carried now by that divine presence. They're a different reality. They've escaped the identity of self and yearning and passion and become totally imbued and permeated with the divine presence. And they get now picked up by that presence. That's Shmona Esrei. Up until the Shmona Esrei, you're yearning and you're passionate and trying to pick yourself up. All of a sudden you see yourself being lifted above the limits of your divine mundane, your mundane finite existence and becoming now lifted up to divine presence. That, my friend, is Shmona Esrei. What do you do when you start the Amida? You just bow down in that presence. Silence. 
the Kesser, the silent energy of God's presence. That's what we do every single day. And that level of silence represents that bitl b'metzius, the self-definition now of no longer self and any yearning or passion. That's before the Shema and the Esra. And we'll soon say that's what Pesukah Dezem is about, the Birchus Krishna, the Shema is the flapping of the wings of love and fear and that excitement and that fervor to pick up the whole expanse of identity. And we do that in the early parts of davening, but the goal has to come to the bitl b'metzius of the Shema and Esra. But that was going to continue. This is Gavaldik, my friends. No? Yes. Chaim. Chaim Abracha. Yeah. Chaim Abracha. Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> Says the Rebbe. That's why in the good old fashioned Chabad Shuls, they used to do it's called the Chabatska Zimmer. Chabatska Zimmer, the old Chabad Shuls. What does that mean? A room where a person can go and have quiet and do this. And go through that experience. When you're diving with a minion and there's all kinds of stuff going on, it's hard to reach this level. So in Chabad shows there's supposed to be a Chabad Katsim whereby you can talk a, go to show, do all your responses you have to do to hear the Torah and hear this and everything, but then go privately into a quiet space and elevate yourself with these processes of the Shema and the flapping of the wings and coming to the Shema Nasser. Says the Rebbe's continue right this with just like Ezekiel shares with us. What happens in the heavens above, says the Rebbe, guess what? I got news for you. This isn't just about them. This is about you and me on a daily basis. We got wings. We got right and left wings, which represents love and awe of Hashem. And you have to engage them and expand your energy of emotions in studying godliness and understanding and appreciating godliness. And allow yourself to get overcome with a sense of love and awe and flap those wings like a raging turbulent water, the excitement. It's supposed to be there, no question about it. Those are the earlier parts of Davani. Where am I? I lost my place because my wings took me out of, out of my, my line over here. Gotta find my place. I lost myself. It's not there, but right there. Uh, the I just found myself. I'm okay. The confinement of the year, the wings of love and fear, right and left sides, chesed and gevura. Mishikosov, as it says, again, quoting Ezekiel, shtayim mechasos, as Gideon saying, the two wings totally covered and encompassed their entire torso, their entire body was covered. When you're in love with Hashem and you're in awe of Kaddish Baruch Hu, there's no part of you outside of that experience. Like the wings totally cover the entire expanse of the size of the angel. Totally uncovered, totally surrounded and embodied by that love and Ava Kaddish Baruch Hu when you're davening Kriyashma and it's in the various parts of the davening. At that point, you have to make a choice. Either I love Hashem or I love Dougies, Dunkin' Donuts. You got to be totally into it, totally invested, totally engaged. The wings have to cover your entire persona. Nothing outside of the experience. Those are love and fear. Says the Rebbe Vaiter, the Mikrayim Kunafayim. And we call them wings. This allows you to ascend and soar to the heavens. You're getting a new perspective on identity and reality as you go through the parts of davening, earlier parts of davening. And the Indian of Avadiyira, when you express this love and awe, the Emtatvila, in the middle parts of davening, it's not there when you're in bed by the Moda Ani. It's also not there in the Shemona Esrei. But it's in the middle ground when you're saying the Shema, Sukkot de Zimra, and the Birch is Krishna and Krishna. 
That's when you're supposed to soar and flap your wings and get excited and totally invest and embrace divine presence and pick up the throne of glory. That's your objective. That's the purpose of Davin, that part of Davin is up there, right there. When a person davens like that, you will see yourself all of a sudden creating and generating a passion for God and rash and ratsui with excitement and passion and fervor. Then says the Rebbe, then all of a sudden you finish the Shema. Then the little sitter says, stand up. We got other things to do right now. And all of a sudden, now you've been exposed to a higher presence of divine, of MS, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's the avoid of Shmona Esrei, Amida, like Ezekiel says that the angels, but Amdam, same word, but Amdam, all of a sudden they're standing and the wings stop flapping. There's total silence. There's no noise of raging waters. Now you're not running to go anywhere else. You know why? Because you're there. You're experiencing now an exposure. True reality true being, true essence, and I'm being exposed to that when I say the Shmona Esrei, Bittu is the ah to the point that even though you're speaking in Shmona Esrei, so I'm expressing myself, right, that expression of self is not me talking. It's God allowing me to say the words, he's giving me the words. And his words are coming from him, nothing more than a tape recording. I'm just allowing, God has given me the words to say. And how, where does that come from? Well, before you say Shmon Esri, what do you say? Hashem Hashem, I can't talk anymore. I, I've expanded all energy of emotion up until this point, And now I see this truth. And I want to praise you more. There's so much more now that I see an essential creation of God's true being. He's put the words in my mouth. Hashem Please open my lips. So my mouth can say forth your praises. Give me the words to say. This isn't about me anymore. This is Hashem giving me the words to say and the strength and capacity to say them. That's Bithlba Metzius. That's the coming to Sinai and totally redefine yourself, any sense of self in yearning and in passion no longer. At this stage, you become the ambassador of the divine presence and you say, Hashem, allow me to say your praises. Give me the words. Give me the strength to say them. And I bow down before Akkadish Baruch Hu. Continues the Rebbe. This is Akkadish Baruch Hu putting the words in your mouth. Say these words with the sense of divine presence. Ufiya, my mouth, will say over your praises. Yagi doesn't just mean to tell over. Yagid also comes with Hamshacha. I'm just causing the emanation of these words to become part of the physical reality by God allowing me the strength to say these words in his capacitating myself to do so. That your praises above come through my mouth. It's not about me any longer. At this point, I've now completely transformed my identity of being a person in yearning and in passion and now I'm intimate at the highest level of identity. I see myself defined by that divine presence. What can I do at this point? You bend down, you bow down to the Sparkle's presence. Bittl b'metzias. Says the Rebbe, that bittl is symmetrically connected to the bittl of the modani in the morning. It's both selflessness. It's no longer about me. 
the moda ani under the pillows, under the covers is not about me. Just get out of bed. Half an hour later, 45 minutes later, Shmona Esrei, again, it's not about me. In the middle, it's about me. Like the month of Iyah, counting the Omer, it's about me getting excited and yearning and passion and the love and the fear. That's the month of Iyar. But Nisan and Sivan is like Modani and Shmona Esrei, the Bittal. And the ultimate goal is I totally become identified with that new reality. Everything about me becomes that reality. When I say that, when I make that statement, that everything about me becomes that reality, uh, um, it means I see everything about myself in that context. And it's not just about me and my person, it's not just my feelings and expressions. It's everything I have is, is that. My assets, my portfolio, my everything about me has a higher perception. And I'll talk more about this tomorrow morning at the Shir. I just want to end up with a little story of the Alter Rebbe, Balatanya, that he was being chased by Napoleon when France attacked Russia. He was being chased because the Alter Rebbe he knew was not on the side of the French and Napoleon. He wanted the Tsar to win because he felt that Napoleon would come and bring emancipation to the people and many people would lose their Jewish identity. Unfortunately, that's how we felt. Unfortunately, he was right. Um, and therefore, he was being chased by Napoleon. He was considered public enemy number one. There is murder At any rate, the story goes, as the Altareb is running away from him, he actually, in running away, that's when he passed away, Altareb. But as he's running away, so he, he's, and, and Napoleon, his forces are right behind him. And he knows he is, and he has to run. Now that is running, he realizes that he left a pair of slippers in the house he was staying in. And he says, we've got to go back. So Hasidim says, how could you go back? Napoleon might be there. He'll execute you. He catches you. He says, says, I cannot let even my slippers under the jurisdiction and ownership of Napoleon and his, his, his evil forces. His asset is Kedusha. But he owns. What we own is yours because God wants it to be yours and you need to do good things with it. They're holy. That's There's nothing about you that's just you. Everything about you, including everything you own at home, everything you own anywhere, your portfolio, your assets, your, everything that you have is a divine expression of your sparks of Kedusha that you need to have. And don't let someone else take that from you. That can, God forbid, corrupt it. Why would we buy a vessel from a non-Jewish person to put into the mikvah? What happened to this thing? Why? Because you take it from the domain of something that's non-kosher, non-Jewish, to Jewish. There's a different reality, different realms of existence. So the Altareba slippers were holy slippers. And I can't let Napoleon own them. He probably just take them and get rid of them. It doesn't matter. He can't take any ownership of it because that's a Jewish spark. Everything about the Jew at this level, a bit of limitless, has a Jewish spark to it. It has to be seen as such. We'll talk more about that in uh, tomorrow morning. But I uh, just wanted to share that thought with you at this point. Okay. Well, thank you, Rabbi. Well, my friends, no? The appreciation on the prohibition of stealing something from someone, God forbid. This week's passion not, not to rob. It's not just that it's not nice. You wouldn't want that done to yourself either. It's the fact that everybody has what God says you need to have. And taking some belongs to someone else means you're misappropriating the whole divine plan of, of, of possessions, of ownerships, of kedushim, sparks that you God gave you what you need to elevate in the world, what you need to make the world right, 
taking someone else's, tries to disturb God's whole plan of creation. It's a much deeper concept of the Kabbalah behind ownership and, and, and propriety of people having ownerships. So even the slippers of the Altareb, I can't let Napoleon own. Which means what we do own is ours. We have a mandate what to do with them. There's a holy spark in everything. Even your slippers have a holy spark. You need the slippers to get you out of bed so you can go to show. There we go. Wow, wow, wow. I go for a walk. It's a whole different walk, Malka, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Get Take off our slippers, get on our shoes, and just go walking and running. Have a good day, Matt. Be careful. Drive carefully. Rabbi Lisbon, I have a question. Go ahead, of course. So before we start the Shmon Esrei, we I, I love the idea that you were saying in terms of, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're thanking God for putting the words in your mouth and asking him to help you to put the proper words into your mouth. And I, that's a very, that's a very, very deep thought. We say, we say something very similar to that, if not the same, before we say the Shmon Esrei, I, I understand that concept much more at the end of the Shmon Esrei when I kind of say my personal prayer, you know what I mean? But when I'm saying the Shmon Esrei, I mean, the words are already written. I'm, I'm repeating what somebody has already written. I, and I understand that Hashem gave those words to you know, people who came before us. Right, yeah. But the idea is like, oh, Hashem, I want to thank you. How Oops, it's frozen. Who froze me or Matt? Matt. It's Matt. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me on this one. Matt, you're out of. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. Matt, we missed you, Matt. You were frozen for a little bit. We missed you. So, so the, the idea that saying, Hashem, please help me to form words, thoughts, all that. Yes. And then, and then I freestyle it. And I say something that makes sense or whatever. Oh, thank you, Hashem, for helping me. What, 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 what the, that's, that same introduction, please help me, Hashem, to you know, form these words, these thoughts, et cetera. And then I'm reading the Shmon Esrei. Right. It's not really my words, my thoughts. It's, oh. I guess, the thoughts as my understanding of the words of the Shmon Esrei. But I'm, I'm, but I'm reading something. Right. So, I want to recite your praises, and I'm at total loss of what praises should be. So the members of the great assembly who wrote the Shmona Esrei told me what to say. But Hashem, I don't have the gumption, the strength, the ability to be expressive of anything at this point because I'm built of There's nothing about myself that expresses self that I want to express myself. I just right. want to have the silence of Keser. So I say, Hashem, I want to praise you. Yeah. I don't want to be me at this point because me is a distraction from you. Hashem says, these are the words you have to say, and I'm going to help you say them. Yeah, I hear that. That's great. They become our words. Not my words. They become our words. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. All right, Rabbi Lisbon, have a great day. Can we continue, my friends. Okay. 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 I just don't have a great day. Terrible eye infection. Mm -hmm. I'm to get rid of that. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah.
uh, you should have a fourth slam. Rabbi. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Skaya. Okay. okay.